0: have a longer scripture reading this morning. I was told by the deacons during the sharing of the peace, evidently we've run out of bulletins this morning. So if you can share with somebody, if there's somebody next to you that could use a bulletin, you might share with them, help them out. Well, if you were disappointed after last week's sermon, then you're probably in good company Because there were a whole lot of questions about Sabbath left unanswered last week. But that's okay, because there's going to be a whole lot of unanswered questions from this morning as well, so prepare to be disappointed again. A good key to life, my friends, is low expectations. That's a good principle to live by. Set yourself up for surprises by never expecting them in the first place. But, you know, there's a reason, there's a reason actually for not delving right into questions of practicing Sabbath last week. Because you can't have that discussion, we can't really talk about that until we're first convinced of something more fundamental and important. And that is that we were created for rest. That we lost rest, we lost it, in the garden And Jesus himself is the way to retrieving it again. And so this morning we're going to return back to the topic of rest. And we're going to see that rest still involves our being intentional about it. It involves our whole being, body and soul. And it involves our most basic relationships too. This is the good news. The good news of a restful God who is putting us back together again. A God who's rescued us from all our attempts to achieve his favor or to place trust in ourselves. And he's given us a rest that we must strive to enter every day and every week. And we're going to find it this morning in Paul's letter to the Colossians and in the evangelists, Matthew and Luke. It's on pages six and seven of your bulletin. Colossians 2, beginning in verse 16 These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And Matthew 12, starting in verse 9. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, this being Jesus. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, the Pharisees asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Our restful God, we come to you as a wearied people, a striving people. And we need your rest Holistically, for body and soul, we need your rest. And we start this morning by thanking you that you've given it to us in Jesus. And we ask that you would show us only more and more and more how that is true. and How it is that we can walk and live in the truth that our Sabbath rest is found in him. Open our eyes to these things in your word. We do not have eyes to see them ourselves. And so we need your spirit to give us eyes to see these things. Do it for us that we would go away more restful. And we ask this in Jesus' name and by the Spirit. Amen. Well, the yellow brick road from the Wizard of Oz, it just isn't it. It's just not going to work. It's a terrible picture of of what it looks like to stay on the path of pilgrimage, the path of following Jesus in this life, even though a lot of American civil religion and American cultural Christianity seems to like it a lot more now, maybe, than ever before. It's a bad picture of following Jesus. And I'm going to tell you why. Because the yellow brick road, it's It's so well lit in a dark forest. It's so shiny and it's so attractive while everything else seems kind of drab and dark and scary. It's a place where everybody is just really happy, like so syrupy, sweetly happy that it doesn't really seem believable. While they walk along this very smooth path that advertises riches and glory and cities made out of emeralds and jewels at the end. It's a very American way to look at following the right path. But it has nothing to do with Christianity. Because when God wants to give us a picture of pilgrimage, of following Him, of staying close to Him in this world, He doesn't give us a yellow brick golden road. He gives us the desert wastes of the wilderness in the Old Testament. And he says, follow me through this path. And as David Rice read before from Ezekiel chapter 20, God promised to faithfully lead his people through the wilderness while also requiring that they follow his commands, that they observe his Sabbaths while in the wilderness, while following him. That they make time for rest, which as we looked at last week, It it was never about not doing something. That's not what Sabbath was really ever about at its core. Not doing something. Refraining from work. But it was about the doing of what we were designed to do. To relate to God. To grow in intimacy with Him in worship. And so why? Why does God command Sabbaths? Because the Israelites, like you and me... We're forgetful people. They're forgetful people. But we have to grasp, we have to grasp what forgetting and scripture actually means. Because it's it's not in scripture, forgetting it's not primarily a brain thing. It's it's not primarily a cognitive loss of information, like forgetting where you put your keys this morning or forgetting that you have an appointment this afternoon. But biblically speaking, forgetting is more like distraction. Like, like going down one path, the path that you know you're supposed to be on, but, but, but then you look off to the side and you see an, another path that's really quite enticing, laid with gold bricks perhaps. And walking down it instead. Becoming distracted and enamored with this new path. And as a result, forgetting. Maybe we could say losing desire For the path that we know is the right one. Even if it's a hard one through a desert where we're going to have to fight giants along the way. And so the question is what things do we do to stay on the right path of pilgrimage of staying close to Jesus of becoming like Jesus in this life and Sabbath was always meant to be a significant part of the answer to this question. Last week We saw that Sabbath in the Old Testament was about God finishing the work of creation and then making the creation his temple, his dwelling place, and relationship with us. After the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, Sabbath was given to the Israelites in the fourth commandment, as Jeff mentioned a few minutes ago, so that they would know the Lord and know that he is the one who sanctifies them. He's the one who makes them holy. He's the one who sets them apart for himself. And according to Isaiah 58, Sabbath was supposed to be something the Israelites delighted in. But how how could they have delighted in simply not doing something? Not working. And the answer is, they weren't. Sabbath was never about just not doing something, but always about the pursuing of God by taking dedicated time to meditate upon the spiritual rest that he provides through his grace. And then Jesus comes. Jesus comes, and what does he say? The Sabbath, he says, was always about me. I am the Lord of the Sabbath, he says to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, because true rest was always about finding it in me at the end of chapter 11. Jesus comes along and he fulfills the picture of of, of bloody circumcision and he gives us baptism in its place. Jesus comes along and he fulfills the, the hastily eaten meal of Passover by himself becoming the slain lamb of God on the cross and he gives us bread and he gives us wine instead. And what does he do with the Old Testament sacrament of Sabbath? He fulfills it, and then he changes it, just like he does with all the others. Remember, last week we began with me asking the question, is the Sabbath command, the fourth commandment, is it part of the, the ceremonial law? The rituals and the ceremonies of the Mosaic system that we don't practice anymore because they're pointing to Jesus and he's come. And so we don't practice those things anymore. Or is the Sabbath command part of the moral law? God's moral commands that we're to follow everywhere and always. And you know what? You probably have figured this out by now. But it's a trick question. Because it's both. It's both. It's both. Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial part, the strict ritual part of ceasing from labor on the seventh day, Saturday. But there's still God's moral command to worship and rest. Why? For him? No. For us? For us. Because that's what we were designed to do. That's what we need. And so, what does it look like to observe Christian Sabbath, to rest in Jesus as we're always meant to rest? And there's a lot of ways that we could talk about this question, but let's put it under three categories this morning the rest of worship, the rest of worship, addressing our God word relationship, our relationship to God, the rest of kindness and mercy, addressing our relationships to other human beings. And then the rest of personal body and soul quiet. Addressing our relationships with ourselves. Addressing the relationship of our soul to our body and our body to the world. So let's start with the rest of worship, the first one. The Apostle Paul, he helps us see once again how spiritual rest is about worship in Christ. It's not about keeping the ceremonial law anymore. You look at Colossians chapter 2 on page 6 in your bulletin we read a minute ago. And you don't have the first 15 verses of Colossians 2 there in front of you, 1 through 15. But if we had read that, you would have seen Paul tell us about Jesus' victory over the great cosmic powers of sin. The cosmic power of, of guilt that we all have and face and have to carry around for breaking the law of his victory over the dark powers of Satan and his demons, these huge powers that were too great for any of us. And his argument and the verses that we do have printed for us here in the bulletin basically comes down to this. Paul basically says, Look, if the Son of God became human and lived among you and died in your place and rose again and then, and then united you to his own work so that all of his victory over all those great powers is now yours too, why in the world would you let mere foolish, self-righteous, legalistic human beings pass judgment on you and talk you into accepting their self-made religion? Why would you do that? It's a terrible trade. All of the practices that Paul mentions in this passage... They're Jewish observances of his day. Sabbath, dietary restrictions, festivals and special days, an entire obsession with angelic beings because angelic beings are associated with the giving of the law, strict forms of self-denial, going without sleep, without food, without shelter so that you could prove how committed and serious that you were about your faith. And so verse 16 Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance, literally he uses the word body, the body, the substance, belongs to Christ. And here we see that in Paul's mind, observing the Sabbath the way the Old Testament Testament prescribes it it's no longer needed because it was a shadow. It's a picture, something used to anticipate the real thing, the substance, the physical body of Christ who filled it. And we are his body. And so clearly, Paul is saying a whole lot right here, but one thing he's cautioning the church against is a legalistic treatment of the Sabbath. In our day, The legalistic treatment of the Sabbath basically says, hey, listen, there are clear, prescribed ways of practicing the Sabbath. Jesus is coming. Only moved the Sabbath, basically, from Saturday to Sunday. But the Pharisees basically had the right idea of placing strict limits on all activities on Sunday. And, of course, nobody says that's their view. Nobody's going to say it like that. I mean, typically it's not. It's not going to fly real well for a Christian to come up and say, now what you want to do is adopt the pharisaical model, right? So nobody's going to say that. But it's kind of hard to escape that some Christians seem to be doing exactly this. In my view, my view, I take an exception. I part ways with our own Westminster Confession of Faith, the confessional standards of our denomination, I think it has a little bit of too much of a legalistic perspective on Sabbath keeping. I love the Westminster Confession of Faith through and through. And I think it actually gets a lot lot right about the Sabbath. But it goes, I think, a little overboard in a couple places. It commands that we refrain from words or thoughts about worldly employments and recreations. Which kind of means this. That in the view of those who wrote the confession, none of us should go home on Sunday afternoon and watch the Cowboys on our TV. And after losing to the Packers a couple weeks ago, who would want to? (laughs) That was too soon for some of you. You weren't ready for that. It was too soon. But you can't throw the ball around anymore with your family in the front yard. You can't play Lego Batman 3 video game with your daughter on a Sunday evening, which is too bad because we're on level 20 and it's pretty awesome. <laughs> and some Christians agree. Some Christians agree. And they make it their business to make sure that you don't do any of those things or a whole bunch of other things on Sunday. And I think that way of practicing the Sabbath treats the Sabbath ...as a burden. It assumes the Sabbath is a burden. And it assumes that fun cannot and should not be an element of genuine rest. And I think that goes against too much other biblical theology. But you know who else assumes that the Sabbath is a burden? Not just the legalist... ...but the the one on the far other end of the spectrum... The super spiritualist. Oh well. Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath. Whatever that means. I'm not really sure. But I do know this. It means I don't have to worry about it anymore. I don't have to shoulder that burden anymore. And so the only difference really between the legalist and the super spiritualist. Is that one thinks that the Sabbath is a burden you do have to keep carrying. And the other says it's a burden you don't. But they both think it's a burden. And that's the problem. That's the problem. So what does this mean for our worship? What does it mean? It means that if Sabbath is fulfilled in Jesus, you get to, you get to seek after Jesus as Paul describes it in Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory you get to enjoy divine fellowship with Jesus and his Father. And in the New Testament, the primary place where that happens above all else is right here. Right here. On a Sunday morning in church, right here. This is where Jesus is. This is where he is. And so what this means is that for all of us, and we all have this, pastors too, all of us who have that little voice in our heads on a Sunday morning that says, "You know, you're pretty tired. You could find a lot more rest just staying home this morning. You could find a lot more rest for yourself by just staying home. You could find a lot more the rest that you kind of need by it's a beautiful day, going to the park, the Arboretum. You could find a lot more rest doing something else on a Sunday morning. Here's what this means. That voice is lying. That's what it means. That voice is lying. Because the reality is you cannot find any greater rest the way you're designed to need it than in Christ. And on Sundays, he's here. He's here better than anywhere else. He's here in the preaching of his word. He's here in the bread and the wine at the table. He's here in the waters of baptism. He's here in the prayers and worship of the saints. This is where he is on Sunday. So if you go trying to find him somewhere else on Sunday, you're just going to get his voicemail. And that message on his voicemail is going to tell you to come here because this is where he is. That's what it means. Well, what about the rest of kindness and mercy? Jesus' fulfilling of Sabbath, it goes beyond even the rest that we find in worship with him. It goes to the kindness and mercy, the rest that we extend to others. If you were here last week, You remember Jesus' words to the Pharisees in Matthew 12? We looked at that first story there in Matthew 12 when they're trying to rebuke him and his disciples for picking heads of grain in the fields because they're starving and they're hungry. And Jesus argues that he basically is the fulfillment of what the Sabbath has always meant. That's argument number one. And then he says, and if you had known what this means, and then he quotes Hosea chapter six, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. If you had known what that means, you would not have condemned the guiltless. And then he says, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And then immediately we get this story. The very next story is the one that you have there in your bulletin on page 6 in Matthew 12. And of course the point of this story in front of us is these Pharisees practiced a form of observing the Sabbath that allowed them to care for their own possessions, more than for other people. But it's, it's worse. I mean, their view of the Sabbath is, listen, you shouldn't be moving a muscle on the Sabbath, but if one of your livestock, one of your animals falls into a pit or a hole or a well, I mean, you know, we've all been there. It's worth a lot. You can reach down there and grab it. That's Okay. Right, that's their view of the Sabbath. But they're testing Jesus as, as he's about ready to heal a human being's arm. who's standing right there. And so really it's much worse than just a view of Sabbath to care for their own possessions. Because their attitude towards the man with the withered hand and their attitude towards Jesus himself is one of objectification. Dehumanizing. The injured man, well, in this passage, he's just an object to them to be used to trick Jesus. They don't care about him. He's not fully human. They're not treating him as fully human in this passage. They don't even care about the restoration of part of his humanity. He's just an object. And Jesus, the compassionate healer, he's an object of hatred in their hearts because they've got all kinds of envy and jealousy of him. And he has to be dealt with, eliminated, murdered, as verse 14 says. And if it wasn't so serious, it would be ironically funny because here's these guys who want to test Jesus on his views of the Sabbath and in their hearts they're already plotting murder, which is also another one of the Ten Commandments. But their way of observing Sabbath protects objects that they care about. Like the wealth that one might have in a herd animal that falls into a well. And so as much as the Pharisees think that they're keeping the Sabbath, they're not. Because even in the Old Testament, God said that one of the reasons he gave the Israelites Sabbath in Deuteronomy 5, one of the reasons why he gave the Israelites Sabbath was to give rest to the lowest servant classes of Israel. Manservants and maid servants and Israelite households were not to be seen as objects, they were not to be dehumanized according to the law. They were people with dignity who were given a day of rest on the Sabbath. And so one of the ways that we observe Sabbath in Jesus properly is when we refuse to objectify people in the workplace. We refuse to treat them like cogs in a machine, a means to an end of simply making more money. And in our post-industrial Western culture, we're trained every day to look at people this way. We're implicitly trained to look at people as cogs in a machine. We often see ourselves as cogs in a machine and everybody else too. Our overly commercialized culture, our, our product-driven, corporate-driven, retail-driven, close-the-deal-on-the-sale-driven culture promotes human objectification on every level. We're encouraged to look at each other as mere products or means of production. And Christian Sabbath means that we don't adopt business practices that squeeze money out of employees while overworking them and overburdening them with really long days and weeks and months and years. We don't treat human beings like beasts of burden. Because Jesus' love for capitalism isn't near what ours is, and his love for people is far greater. And when those things are in tension, and they're not always... They're not always, but sometimes they are. And when those things are in the Sabbath that we have in Jesus means that the choice that we make is clear. We choose to practice kind, merciful, pro-employee business practices that provide for the rest and welfare because that's who our God is. But what about you? Where do you get rest? Where do you get rest? Maybe, maybe a better question is when. When do you get rest? How do you get it? Because evidently, as a people, we're not sleeping very well. On average, we all sleep. On average, we all sleep two and a half hours less than we did a century ago. And that study was conducted in 2004. According to the Centers of Disease Control, more than 40 million Americans were getting less than six hours of sleep in 2012. And I'm sure that the explosion of smartphones and iPads has really helped to cure those problems. And what those statistics should, should show us, besides the fact that evidently I need more recent statistics, <clears throat> on what, besides that, what they should tell us is that we as a culture don't really think rest need apply to our bodies very much. We're often slaves to our work outside the home because our identity is tied up in our accomplishments out there. Whether it's how high up the chain we can climb, how much money we make, how much pressure we feel to save for college... To provide for all the best that we think our kids deserve. The best schools, the best extracurriculars, the best vacations. I mean, who's got time for rest? You only achieve those things, we think, by winning the race being faster or harder working than the person next to you, making sure that you pick up more manna off the ground and into your basket than the person picking up manna next to you. And if you got to go out there an extra day to make that happen, well, do what you got to do. And We're often slaves to our work at home too. For some of us, our homes, our yards, they have to be so well-kept and so clean all the time, so well-managed. Captain Von Trapp would be proud. And we talk ourselves into thinking that we're going to rest on vacation. So, so we'll work like coal miners all year long to get a few weeks of vacation. And then, then on our hard-earned vacations, we're just going from one activity to the next. Well, we got to see this. we got to take advantage of this. We don't know we're going to be here again. Wouldn't it be really cute if the kids went and did this thing? And we come back exhausted. We come back exhausted and we need a vacation <laughs> from our vacation. And what we end up doing a lot is living in denial of our nature. We live in And denial of our limitations. Of our physicality. And part of what it means to live out Christian Sabbath. Is to embrace a whole Christ. A full Jesus. Not not just the limitless, omnipotent God who can do anything divine Jesus. but, But the physical. The limited. My... My mind and my body can get sick, and I often need a nap. Human Jesus. Look at Martha and Mary and Jesus in Luke 10, page 7. And you know what? There's a whole lot that we could say about this passage, but I just want to draw your attention to one thing this morning. Martha, Martha, she knows who Jesus is here. She wasn't confused about that up here. Martha's not some unbeliever who thinks that Jesus is just some average guy in her living room while Mary totally gets it. That That's not what's happening here. Instead, Martha, she's a picture of us. Martha's a picture of us. She knows who Jesus is up here in her head, but she's, what does the text say? Distracted. She's distracted. She's busy. She's overworking. Martha is an overachiever. In our culture, Martha would get all kinds of awards. And it doesn't matter what her intentions are. Her body isn't where it's supposed to be in this account. And her sister's Body is where it's supposed to be, at Jesus' feet. And it's interesting when you compare Luke chapter 10 to what's going on in Matthew 11 and 12 that we looked at more in depth last week. Because they're parallel accounts, They're telling much of the same stories and much of the same information, but they're doing it from different perspectives. Both accounts have Jesus going all over Galilee, all over northern Israel, preaching the kingdom, preaching who he is, and he's just getting rejected at town after town after town. And finally, he calls judgment down. He says, listen... He calls curses down on them and he says, someday these cities are going to be judged for the rejection of me. And then he turns to the Father and he says, I thank you, Father, that you have revealed these wonderful truths to the least of these, the least of human society, the least of this culture and this society. And then here's what Matthew does. At the end of all of that, Matthew gives us the, come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And then he gives us two Sabbath stories. At the end of all that same material, Luke gives us this. Luke gives us Martha and Mary. And here's what I think Luke's point is. This, Mary at the feet of Jesus, is a picture of Christian Sabbath. Holistic body and soul rest. A person who has intentionally organized her schedule, her activities, her body, and her soul to receive rest from the only source of true rest, her Savior. And a lot of us in this culture, we work outside the home, we work inside our homes, we work, we play, we volunteer we lead ministries or, or champion this cause or that cause. And our children do too. As though we all need to impress somebody. Maybe ourselves most of all. You know what the most, you know what the most misquoted and misapplied verse in the New Testament is? It's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh my goodness. At some point in evangelical Christian subculture, somebody grabbed that verse and they stuck it in a blender and they turned it on and it's still running. That verse is so mutilated and misapplied because it it has been used to justify so much idolatrous overachievement by Christians who constantly need to feel a pat on their back even if it's from their own hand. I read a Facebook post By a pastor friend this week that said, the most countercultural thing you can do in a restless culture is rest. Which means that what we all need to ask Jesus to strengthen us to do is to rest in Him. Overachievement is so dumb, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's not special. It's not worthy of reward. It's a sign of the curse upon us. But can you join Jesus on the floor of a ship in the middle of a storm and take a nap? Because that requires divine grace to do that. Can you leave the pots and the pans and the kitchen with Martha and join Mary on the floor at his feet? Can you organize your schedule and your activities and your body and soul to seek Jesus with his church? To promote rest at your workplace or in your home? To be a person who exudes a restful trust in the one who's bound you to himself? Because that takes divine grace too. And through Jesus, the good news is, this strength is always ours. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Father, you know all the different ways in which we are needing of your rest. You know each one of us inside and out from top to bottom You know, those of us who are restless on the inside and outside, to a large extent, that's most of us. And Father, I pray that you would, in your goodness and kindness and mercy, give us the rest that's in Jesus. A full rest. A rest from our own strivings, but a rest also from our busyness and distractedness. That you would give us a desire and a hunger for Jesus that would bring the rest of who we are into line, to seek after him, holy with who we are. Do that in our hearts by your spirit. Show us who we are in him, that we may rest in him. We ask that you would do these things for us the rest of this day and into this week. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.